So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, our scripture today is 1 Thessalonians. We're going to finish up chapter 3, and so we'll be 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I'll give you a moment to get those, and if you need a Bible, uh, let us know. We've got some in a box up here. We can pass those around, so you can just raise your hand, and I'll have Zach pass you one if anybody needs one. Do we? So I'll read our text this morning, and then we'll have um, some explanation and discussion, and then we'll get into the, the dividing of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 through 13 says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we have been um, going through uh, section by section the book of First Thessalonians for a couple of months now. And this week, because Dale and Cynthia are out, uh, it falls to me to preach this text and on the outset, it may seem like a, a strange text for a message because it's a short text. And if you read it, this seems like a, a salutation. But if you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians as a whole, it's kind of right in the middle. So why would we have a, a salutation in the middle um, of the book? And I, this probably isn't a text that if you were preaching topically as a pastor that you would pick out that you would want to preach on necessarily um it may go without saying but our our goal as we build this church and as dale and i look at the messages that that we bring and the way we want to bring the word of god um that here at redeeming grace fellowship church that we want to preach an exegetical sermon or we want to preach an expository sermon and what does that mean um, if we look at the term exegetical, it means that we, we take a text as it is, and we read it as it is, and we look to that text to inform us on what the text says. That seems kind of like common sense, um, but we look not to bring anything to the text, but we look to expose ourselves to the truth of God's Word. In contrast to that is an eisegetical text preached or a topical message where we come with an idea, we try to find a scripture that fits the idea that we have, and then we make the scripture work to support the message we want to preach. We don't preach that way here. Uh, we feel like that the best way for us to um, be informed by God's word and for us to build our lives around the truth of God's word is for us to to preach expositionally to go passage by passage and when we do that sometimes we come to things that um that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily preach or things that are very uncomfortable to preach which is good 
If all we expose ourselves to in God's Word are things that we're comfortable with, we never grow in Christ. So we come to, uh, today we're going to, to look at, uh, this section of scripture and we're going to look to see what it is that God has to tell us in this salutation. And I was, uh, surprised to learn a great deal, um, of very helpful things this week. So as we seek to preach, uh, in an expository way, and we seek to bring the truth of God's word in the most accurate way to light for each of you, so that's why I'm preaching. And then we also know from 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable profitable for teaching, reproof, and for correction and training in righteousness. So uh, this is our, our goal today. Um, if we were to be going through the book of Matthew, and I would come to uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2 through 17, today we would say, and Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob. And, but we would still find in those, in that genealogy, we would see the truth of God's word and it would be meaningful and it would be wonderful for us to do. So, uh, with all that said, we'll look at our, our text. I want to point out a couple things before we get started so we can have them in our mind. Um, things that I, uh, thought about as I read this scripture and things that, that I discovered. But the more that I read this, this passage, the more evident it became to me how great Paul's love is for this church and how much he desired their good. And it's, it's, it's a really beautiful book when we take it all in context together to see that, um, uh, Paul gave up a great deal for this church and Paul had a, a huge affection for this church. I also saw this passage, instead of a bookend, as you'd think a salutation would be, as more of a hinge. The the tone of the book changes from this passage. In the beginning, Paul's commending the Thessalonians. We've heard many great things about you because you have followed the way that we taught. And uh, Paul says, we've come at a great cost to us. Because we love you and because it's important and you're, you're doing well, you're following God's word. Here's some things also you need to do. But then after today, uh, beginning next week, we, we shift to a, a more of a serious tone where Paul comes and says, the day of the Lord is coming. Make yourselves ready. Prepare your hearts because Christ is returning and and these things that we have taught you, we haven't taught you just to have something to teach you. We teach you because we love you, because we want you to be able to stand righteous before Christ on that day. We want you to stand with the righteousness of Christ when he returns. So that's, that was a, a, a kind of a revelation for me that it, it is a, it's a hinge and it's a good turning point. It also struck me that this is a prayer and it may seem kind of a, a silly revelation, but Paul has a prayer right in the middle of his letter. So I go back and I look through some other letters. Paul does this all the time. Paul will interject a prayer. This is what I pray to the to God regarding you. This is my desire for you. And it, it made me think back of um, we had two two officiants at our wedding. We had two pastors. Um, Pastor Stan Schofar, um, 
would pray anytime you would speak with him. If you called Stan on the phone and said, Stan, I need to borrow your lawnmower, he would say, okay, let's pray about that. And we would pray. We would, we would, on the phone, we would pray about the lawnmower, but we would also pray about our, my sick aunt. We would pray about my studying. We would pray about different issues that have come up in our lives. And it, it seemed odd as a very young Christian, but it's, it's such a sweet thing as I think about it now. Um, and Dale mentioned last week that if we really love someone, that'll be reflected in how we pray for them, how often we pray for them, and what what kind of things do we pray for someone. If we say, man, I, I really love Dale, I have to stop and think, do I pray for Dale? Do I, is he regularly in my prayers? Do I bring to God this love that I have for Dale and ask him to perfect it? So that was uh, the third thing that really uh, kind of framed my thoughts for this week as I looked at this um, at this passage. But but what if we interjected prayer in text messages? You know, we have these long text threads. We go back and forth with people. What if uh, in the middle we took a time out and just to honor God and just to to pray? Or when we come together, do we do that often enough? I don't think so. Uh, we've had a weekend and a part of a week where we have seen people we haven't seen in a while and we've met new people. Have we taken the opportunity to to thank God in those moments? So with those things in mind, let's turn to our text. Uh, I'll begin with uh, verse 11. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Are we directable? Are we looking to see where it is that God is pushing us, where it is that God is guiding us? Is that what our desire is? Do we wake in the morning and say, Father, where do you want me to go today? In our heart, are, are we directable? So Paul is appealing to two persons of the Trinity for him and for his crew to be directed to Thessalonica. Uh, they are in Corinth, I believe, when this letter is written, but he wants to come, and he wants to see them face to face. He has already invested a lot. If you know, if you're versed in the New Testament, you're versed in uh, in uh, Paul's letters. His love for Timothy is great, but he sent Timothy to them, and Timothy has come back with a good report. So they have a lot invested there, and they want to return. They want to love on uh, those people and to share in God's love with those who are there. Uh, if we think about our own context, our own situation, has the coronavirus, has COVID affected our ability to see some of our loved ones face to face? It has. I, I've seen, I've heard lots of stories of people say, man, you know, I, uh, my sister had a baby. I haven't seen him. He's like three years old now. And that's that's a very common thing because it's, it's made it difficult to travel and in certain phases it's been it's been harder uh, some people are more reluctant and concerned than others about contracting it so we have to be sensitive to that if somebody 
doesn't want a lot of guests, I'm not going to impose myself upon them if they're concerned for their health. So we, we respect those things. So we can kind of relate to this longing, this desire to be face-to-face with those our lo- that we love. But it, it's affected our, our gatherings. I know... Um, a certain a certain class of high schoolers they didn't have prom they didn't have all these different things and, and graduation was was weird um there have been weddings that have been either canceled or seriously scaled down uh that th- ones that we were invited to so we couldn't we couldn't do those things and i think we feel that loss so Paul and his gang, they're excited to hear from the church, but they're also excited to go and to visit. First uh, Thessalonians 1.8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So Paul has heard these good reports, but he wants to see it with his own eyes, and he wants to hear with his own ears. So they don't have the novel coronavirus in this day. What is preventing Paul from just loading up his crew and going and visiting the church in Thessalonica? Paul's concern is to do the work of the Lord. Paul's desire is to go to Thessalonica, but he was commissioned by God to be in Corinth. So he is doing what it is that God has appointed him to do. Paul had trained himself to rely on God for everything. If you look at Paul's life, if you were to list the trials and tribulations of his life, he had dozens of opportunities to to give up, to turn away, and um, to walk away. But God had wrought these things in him, this desire to please God and to do God's will, despite having his own desires. We see several times in in the Pauline letters where my desire is to come to you, but he's hindered. This desire to do God's will was a preeminent force in Paul's life. So despite his burning desire to go see the Thessalonians, his first priority was the work in Corinth. Do we consider where we're going to go? what path we're going to take? Do we think about those things in terms of God's desire and God's plan for our lives? How easy for it, is it for us to just hop in the car and go somewhere because we want to go? James chapter 4, starting at 13, says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, we will live and do this or do that. Cal Hall um, has trained me up and and Dale also has adopted this language. I'll see you on Thursday, Lord willing. Not that... uh, And it's not like a, a rote thing that we say that that we're, we're trying to, to please God, but we're trying to, in our minds, train ourselves to understand that, you know, I can make plans. I plan to go to work tomorrow. God may have different plans. Um, I plan to maybe go watch a movie with my kids. God may have different plans. 
So my desire should be for the Lord and for what he has set for me to do. So do we act and think that way? Or do we need to to train ourselves to act and to think according to what is it that God would have me do? So Paul was, he was teaching while he was praying. He was leading by example. In the King James Version, uh, uh, we read from Luke chapter 2, verse 49, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not know that I must be about my father's business? And this is a, a preteen Jesus addressing his parents when they came looking for him after he disappeared. Where did they find him? They found him in the temple. Did you not know I should be about my father's business? That seems to us, especially those of us who have young children, what a disrespectful thing that a, a child would say. If one of our children said that, we would understand it to be disrespectful. But but Jesus was right because he was to be about his father's business. Are we about our father's business? Or do we come and go as we see fit? How do we decide where we'll go and what we'll do? Is that our own direction or do we seek from the Lord? And it seems like a small thing. Why do I need to ask God about going to to Walmart? <laughs> Why do I need to ask Him about uh, you know doing any of these things? Because He directs our ways. We walk with the Lord. We walk in, in blessing. We honor Him by walking in His way. And even if we have a strong desire to do a thing, if it's not God's will, then we don't do the thing. We don't go. So Paul was restrained. There were things that were keeping them in Corinth. He had work there, though his desire was to be uh, with the Thessalonians. Let's look at verse 12. Why did uh, he want to go? And what was his desire? His desire for the Thessalonians. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So we need to be willing to love. Why would Paul pray that the Lord increase their love for one another? Why didn't he just tell them, you should love one another? Anyone again, anyone who has children, they understand that very graciously. We used to make our children sit together on a little couch and hold hands. If they were really bad, they had to say nice things about one another. Did that foster in them a love for one another? No. It helped bring about some civil behavior. But Paul recognized that change in our heart comes from God. That we don't, we don't muster up these things. We don't muster up a desire to love God. We don't say, you know, today I feel like I'm going to follow Christ and we don't do that unless he puts in us a desire to do so. It's against our nature. It's against the nature of our flesh to say, I'm going to actively love someone and I'm going to do things for someone just because I, just because I kind of want to do that. No, Paul understands that he wants God to make them abound. He wants God to increase their love for one another. Where does his love for them come from? Paul's love for God. And it's the same for us. We, we love our spouse. We love our children. We love our parents. We love our friends. 
we we kind of overuse the term love because what we need to do is examine the way that we love people. Do we love them selflessly? Is it a sacrificial love? Is it a love like uh, yesterday that uh, Pastor Daniel talked about, um, a sacrificial love when he was in Ephesians chapter 5? Do we give of ourselves the way that Christ gave? Was there more that heaven could have given than, than Jesus? No. So, um, we, we can't change behavior. We can't tell people, just, just love God more. Just love your, your spouse more. Love one another more. It doesn't work that way. Um, from Exodus 9, 12, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. I thought about that because I often think back, if you read in the preceding versions, Pharaoh hardened his heart and he wouldn't let, the, he wouldn't let the people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart and he wouldn't hear Moses. But then what happens? The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And after the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, it doesn't need hardening anymore. From there, it takes him straight to his doom in the Red Sea. So, Pharaoh hardened his heart, then the Lord hardened his heart. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, joints in the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God knows our heart better than any cardiologist. You, they have some really sophisticated equipment where I work where they can, they can look at your heart while it's beating. They can open your chest and work on your heart while it's beating. All of that is inferior. Because when, when first when Paul speaks of the heart, he's speaking about your, uh, your emotional center. Um, all those things are inferior because God knows every molecule of our body. God knows every hair of our head. God directs those things. It's sometimes as um, humans, we, we think we defy God, but we don't. We, we have a, a temporary resistance, and then at the end of our lives, we're accountable for those things. Everything else in all of creation obeys God explicitly. If our uh, earth is, is spinning on its axis, if it were to move two inches, the whole world would fly apart. Think about how big, 186,000 miles, whatever, how big the earth is. If it were to shift two inches, it's all over. God controls. God directs. God is sovereign over all those, all these things. The control that we have is an illusion. It's hubris. It's pride. But God directs. Do we have, maybe we have unsaved children? Maybe we have unsaved friends or family? Yes, we preach the gospel to them. Yes, we exhort and encourage them. Yes, we train them up to fear the Lord. But we, first we have to pray. We pray to God for those people in our lives because God changes hearts. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now I know that we 
though I know we aren't Israel, I want to be careful not to apply specific scriptures um, to broad situations. But this is how God saves his people. He changes their heart. He takes their heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. He takes their desire for sin away and he gives them a desire for himself. So God changes hearts. Unredeemed people can't love God. Before I knew Christ, I hated God. I wanted to be God. So I couldn't, I couldn't love God because it was impossible. I couldn't love God any more than a turtle could fly. It's impossible. But the two most powerful words that we find in scripture are, but God. We see from Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So our God is the God of impossible. God, he can take a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Unredeemed people don't love God because it's impossible. We all are born into sin. But because of the love of God, we can know God. We can love God. So Paul, knowing that the Thessalonians would require divine prayer, um, that God would cause them to love another, he, he prays in this way. And we ought to pray in this way as Westerners, particularly as Americans, and especially as the male half of the species, we have a desire to fix things. We see a problem. Oh, let me fix that for you. Oh, you had this complex emotional situation here. Let me fix it. But it doesn't work that way. Again, that's, that's pride. We see a problem. We want to jump in and fix it. What we need to do is practice going to God. We need to practice Lifting up our struggles to the one that knit us together in the womb. First, this is where we come to. And I know God has provided medicine and God has provided all these ways that he uses in order to heal the body. And he, he has provided people that can counsel us and, and help us in our, in our spiritual way. But we go first to God because he's the ultimate healer. He brings ultimate healing. And ultimately, he's the one that changes our hearts. He, he know, he has numbered the hairs of our head. And when he directs us to act, we do so on his authority. So when we pray and God directs us, he directs us according to his will, we don't fail. We don't fail because we act according to God's will. And I think that's where we, we get tripped up when we read, um, in John, that anything that we pray for in Christ's name, we can have. Yeah, the idea isn't that if we pray in Christ's name, we get the things our heart's desires. No, when we pray in Christ's name, our desires become the Lord's desires. Those things come to pass. There are times in my life, shamefully, that God's will has come to pass and I've been sad because of my own sin. That wasn't my desire. That wasn't the thing I wanted to happen, despite the fact that it was a billion times better than anything I could have imagined. It's a humbling thing for us to to realize that we come to God with our own preconceived notions and our own ideas. We figure out how God should fix everything, and we present it to Him, and He rejects it. Thankfully. 
This is the, the beautiful chastening of God. This morning in the, the prayer from the Valley of Vision, it's, it was so sweet because, Lord, I know when you withhold your spirit from me, it's so I will treasure it more. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thought. So we need to be willing to love. We need to be willing to pray for others that they can love one another. We need to be willing to pray that, that God would make us love better and that God would knit us together in the love of Christ. Because that is an enduring love. That is a, that is a, a glue that doesn't come undone. There's no solvent for the love of God. So we need to be willing to love and we need to pray this way. In verse 13, why? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So the, my third exhortation is to be blameless. No problem, right? It's always interesting when I read in the book of Job that it says that he was a righteous man. I struggle with that because I know he wasn't a sinless man. But he was counted righteous before God. One of the best things that I like to talk about, and as youth pastors we talked, a lot of young people would ask this. Okay, if if Jesus, if his life his death and his resurrection are how I'm saved. How was King David saved? Uh, how was Abraham saved? So then we can go back and then we can, we can read where it says, uh, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Where does the faith of Abraham come from? It comes from God. Where does our faith come from? It comes from God. We don't muster faith. We don't say, I'm going to have so much faith this week. No, we we pray humbly and say, God, I grow my faith. Father, I believe. Forgive my unbelief. This is our heart as we, we come to God. And if we look to be blameless, this isn't that we look to be sinless. But this is us looking to come to God. This is for us living our lives according to His will. This is for us to put aside, to put to death our sin. And this is for us to depend fully on the righteousness of Christ. Such a joy, such an amazing thing that Christ is the only man ever to walk perfectly before the Lord. And it's such a joy because as we put our faith in Him, and not in our own deeds and our own works. We're putting our faith in perfect works of righteousness. This marvelous exchange of Christ's righteousness for our sin is unbelievable. And it's at the heart of the gospel. And this is, this is Paul's prayer that his people would come blameless before God. He wants to present them to God blameless. He wants God to establish their hearts in holiness. God intends for us to love one another. He intends for us to love one another as Christ loved the church with a, a brotherly love. Like Again, like Pastor Daniel said, this agape love, this self-sacrificial love. It's not a love where we say, if I do this for you, what is the thing that is coming back to me? 
It's a love to say, this is all that I have. Take it, it's yours. So Paul prays for this this love. He prays that that, uh, God may establish their hearts as blameless and not sinless. Um, And if we look at Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Do we do that? Do we look um, to the needs of our neighbors? Do we look to to the needs of those that are around us? It's not hard to find need. There's need everywhere. The, the Greek word for heart here is cardia, right? Like, so we get heart, uh, cardiac. That's sort of the, uh, the root of that word. But this is where the, the Greeks believed your personality lived. So your, your thinking, your will, your feeling parts and those things. They also had, a another part of your, your splagensomai, your guts. And this is your, your fortitude and your, your will to, to, succeed and those kind of things but this is specifically your cardia this is your your emotional seat of your heart paul wants their hearts right before god he loves them he wants them to be fit to stand before christ when christ returns like the 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 parable of the virgins they didn't share their oil because they were about their father's business they wanted to be ready they were watchful and when the bridegroom came they were ready to go out. They weren't like the, the foolish virgins who, who didn't have oil for their lamps, who weren't prepared, whose hearts were not set on the things of the return of the bridegroom. They were about their own business. So how do we love one another? How do we demonstrate love for the lost? We spread the gospel. Um, we, we meet the felt needs of people and that's kind of a buzzword. Um, I think it's a bad word when you put it above the gospel, but when it is, it is a companion to the gospel, it's very important. People have needs. People are hurting. This time of year, it's accentuated. Now, there are people who struggle because of the weather. They aren't warm enough, don't have enough food. Um, we see a lot of self-destruction in this area. People because of, of whatever, drugs, alcohol, um, they've uh, abused whatever things. And because of those things, they're suffering and they're hurting. It's not our place to bring judgment. It's our pr- place to bring love. So Paul wants the Thessalonians, and by extension, our hearts to be blameless before God. Is this what we desire? Do we want to come to the Lord blameless? Do our prayers reflect that desire? Do we tell those that we care about, I want to be with you in eternity with God. I don't want you to fall into eternal judgment. I don't want you to to have to... uh, be judged according to your sin because if you're judged according to your sin, you're going to be condemned. Hell waits for those who are judged according to their sin. By the grace of God, those of us in, those of us in Christ, I won't be judged according to my sin. I, won't, I will be judged according to the righteousness of Christ. 
We have this legal right standing. We have clearly broken the law. We can't deny our guilt before God. None of us in this room today will go an hour after our service without sinning before God because we're in a sinful flesh. But those of us who are redeemed, those of us whose hearts have been changed from that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, Christ stands between us and judgment. Is that what we desire for everyone that we know? If I handed each of you a slip of paper and said, write down ten lost people, everybody in here could do it. So if we, if you are among the redeemed in Christ today, if you are among the elect of Christ, I challenge you to think about the people around you. Do we pray for them by name, specifically? Do we love them as, as we ought? Or do we leave people to their own devices? This extends to the highway as well. As you're going down the road, we every single day we see someone texting and driving. People who um, can't be bothered to stay in their own lane. It's a terrifying thing. It makes me angry because I realize the danger that they're putting people in. They need Christ. They need Christ. They 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 need to think about other people, right? Before they they think about what they're what they're doing, you know. Before they think about their own needs. Um. But people are, are distracted, and this time of year, people are so angry. There's so much. This is supposed to be the season of joy, but we have lost the context of what the joy is about. So do we love those that surround us enough to say, look, this, this joy of Christmas isn't the presence under the tree. It isn't the decorations. It's not the, the sales that are going on. It's none of those things, but the joy the only joy, the only hope that we have is in Christ, in that when we die, which is inevitable, all of us are going to perish. When we go to stand before God in judgment, as all of us are, who is going to be there to advocate for you? Who's going to be between you and Christ? Do we love our neighbors enough to ask them that question? Do we desire their salvation? If not, we need to repent of that. Uh, I think it's Charles Spurgeon that says, if you don't have a heart for the lost, you're probably not saved. Wow. So we need to ask God to forgive us for that. We need to ask that he would establish our hearts as blameless and that he would bury in us deep his desire for his commission that he has given us for the lost. And if you are here today and your heart isn't pricked by the Word of God, if these things don't hurt, if you don't feel this uh, this sense that this is what I need to do, these, these things are these things are uh, I'm dishonoring God. If that doesn't bother you, if your concern is for your own salvation and not for the kingdom of God then my advice is that you go before God, that you seek His face, and that you ask Him, that you beg Him to put in you this heart of flesh. We can't come before God with a heart of stone and expect 
to enter into his glory. And we can't partake in his, in the glory of his son. We can't partake in his resurrection if we aren't willing to participate in his death. This is a, this is a small thing for us to do to come before God, but it's also the biggest thing that we can do for us to empty ourselves and to stand before a holy God. This idea of God's holiness is incredible. He is other than us. A thing is good because God declares it so. And a person is declared to have broken God's law by whom? By God. It's His law. So if you don't have this desire for God, if you don't have this conviction over sin, or maybe you haven't, but you're starting to have that, go before God. And you can come and talk to me. We can discuss this because there is nothing more important in all of your life than your eternal destination. I'm sure probably everybody has seen the the video of the guy with the rope. He's got a rope that pretty much fills up the whole room. It's a gigantic rope, and he has a piece of tape about one inch. And he says, this is your life. The rest of this is eternity, which obviously is much greater than that, but it gives us some perspective. We're here for such a short period of time. If you have children, you know how fast the time flies. It's incredible. One of the the biggest things that I hear from my lost family members is, I will get right with God when the time is right. And it doesn't work that way. We don't operate. God doesn't operate on our schedules. We operate on His schedule. Let's close our time this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father, I repent. I repent that I I don't have a desire for the lost in the way that you would have me uh, desire their salvation, Father. I repent that I've too often turned my eyes to my own situation and ignore the needs of those who are around me. And Father, I pray that you would, uh, for all of us, that you would... Uh, Establish us in us a desire to be blameless. We understand the reality of our situation and our sinful flesh, but Father, we glory in the spirit that you've put in us. This spirit of freedom from the sin that we're born into. So Father, as we conclude our service in a few moments today, I pray we would leave this place and that we would... um, have uh, a desire to be directed by you, that we would have a a desire to to love, and that, Father, that you would uh, put in us a desire to be blameless. And that this week as we uh, move into our, our regular lives and as we get back into the groove and as we move into a holiday season and, and all these things externally that are going on, we pray that our focus would be on you. And, Lord, uh, that we would press into your word. We would have a hunger and a desire for it like never before. And that our time and prayer would double and then double again as we would come and bring to you all the honor and glory and praise that we uh, have in our minds and our hearts. And as we bring to you our sin to confess and as we bring to you the things that we would request, Lord, as your your word uh, makes provision for us to do. So Lord, as we go today, we ask uh, that you would 
stir our hearts up for good works. And not that we would be glorified, but that you would be glorified forever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.